to Strike Up the Conversation on Post Show Recaps, a podcast bringing you coverage of the labor disputes happening now, continuing to happen now in television and film. I am Dr. Amanda, and I've been the host for these conversations. Uh, Today, I am joined once again by my dear friend, Ariel, to talk through an update of everything that has been going on with the Writers Guild of America, with, importantly, SAG-AFTRA. Thank you, Ariel, for coming back to the pod and joining today. Wow, dear friend. Sounds like a movie title. My dear friend, Ariel. A movie title. Well, somebody can write that movie, Ariel, but nobody can star in it. (laughs) Listen, we have a whole writer's room ready to go. Uh, you know, with all the different layers that are necessary and fair. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see this movie about me. I can't. Who's going to play me? This is well, so Well, maybe we'll just have to do an AI generated Ariel. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll talk to Dan Schiffman about it. Um, but before we get into that, um, just another plug to please uh, subscribe to the podcast. It helps people find us. You can do that by using our RSS feed link, postshowrecaps.com slash strike or searching for postshowrecaps strike when you search uh, on your podcast player of choice. Um, And ratings and reviews are always appreciated. And as always, you can submit any questions or topics that you would like to have covered on the podcast by going to postshowrecaps.com slash strike FAQ. Um, So, Ariel, we have some updates. The last time that this podcast came out was uh, about two weeks ago. And at that point, there was a very exciting development in the WGA negotiations. On Tuesday, October 10th, the Writers Guild of America voted overwhelmingly to ratify that contract with the AMPTP. Um, Very, very good news. And it also marked the AMPTP going back to the table with SAG-AFTRA for the first time since they went on strike in July. Um, And negotiations seemed like it was going to be off to a great start. In my impression, when I heard the news about the WGA contract, which everybody was really happy about, and I talked about um, on the podcast with Naomi, some of the details that Um, It seemed like the AMPTP was coming with all of the goodwill in the world to finally be ready to close this thing up and get back to work. That's all they've been talking about is we need to get back to work. And yeah, to your point, I think there was this like groundswell of, you know, certainly hope, if nothing else, and obviously support and all these things getting ratified. It just felt like organically. And like you said, we were back to the negotiating table on the on the SAG-AFTRA side and then we got the news that uh, there was a breakdown in communication. Mm-hmm. And it felt like when I saw the first article, it was like, wait, is this an old thing? Like, am I reading old news? Because this this seems like from the before time, yeah, we are yeah. past this. Like, how could they, you know, perhaps naively, some of us mm-hmm. were like, yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be ratified. They've, they've worked out all the kinks. Obviously, it's a completely different negotiation and the parameters are quite different. But um, it was a little disheartening to to read the news that the breakdown talks had uh, broken down this past week between AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA. And now it seems like, you know, the end of the year is very quickly approaching. And, mm-hmm. you know, we there's no reason to believe like this coming week, for instance, there might not be some really big uh 
you know, ground that's covered and, uh, you know, negotiations can very quickly just materialize again. These people aren't, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I think the, the people, especially on the AMPTP side have learned, like, we can't go to our villas and who knows where we have to like stay local and figure this stuff out. Mm -hmm. So, but it is a little, it is a little bit sobering, I think, in the way that, uh, people thought and myself included, that maybe it was just going to be like a one, two, three, you know, check to the to the finish line on this. Thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, to be clear, we've sort of highlighted this along the way. There are a lot of similarities between what the actors were asking for and what the writers uh, have been asking for, which really kind of boils down to, um, you know, fair compensation, having some share in the success of their products, um, some protections against AI, which are slightly different, um, but related issues in both professions. Um, and, you know, some accounting for how the streaming landscape has absolutely changed the working conditions for people in entertainment and sort of given that new landscape that we're in, renegotiating so that compensation is fair. Um, so, you know, knowing that they were going to have to come back to the table with SAG and look at those individual terms one by one, I was at least feeling like the strength of the win that the Writers Guild was able to achieve meant that the studios were really, really ready to like at least come back and do the work of negotiation, right? Like they wanted to end this thing. They didn't want to do play this game of brinksmanship, like oh. indefinitely. We have ha seen a lot more activity from the major CEOs, like the Ted Sarandises, like the Bob Igers, like the David Zaslavs, like actually ending up in the room yeah. to try to work these things through. Um, but what we saw is a breakdown now where the AMPTP has walked away, not coming back to the table. This happened on the evening of October 11th, and they released a statement um, saying that the gap between the AMPTP and SAG-AFTRA is too great and conversations are no longer moving us in a productive direction. Um, they said basically they um, have centered this around the claim that the, the proposals that the studios laid out um, demand for a viewership bonus that the studio. So the SAG-AFTRA's demands are um, unreasonable. They're untenable. They, they, they place an untenable economic burden. The viewership bonus would cost an additional $800 million a year, according to the AMPTP. Um, and this is a bonus that would increase compensation for performers whose projects are very successful. And obviously, this would require studios to make public the viewership for streaming content, to have more transparency in viewership on streaming, which is something that they have to this point resisted. And this was the major issue that was laid out in official statements from the AMPTP. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, going back a second to, because I think it's important here with like the, the, the PR spin side of it, unfortunately, but it's all coming mm -hmm. into play, especially now as the talks have broken down, but like before it seemed like on the AMPTP side, there had been a little bit of a miscalculation, perhaps a little bit of a, uh, underestimation of 
the public's interest and the public's support of the Mm -hmm. and you know as you've gotten into obviously these strikes have now extended to like various industries and there seems to be like this groundswell that i think is really positive in the labor movement but these you know somewhat at times out of touch executives thinking you know that that people weren't going to be interested perhaps or there was going to be some level of, of of misunderstanding of the negotiations but they in my estimation my very humble estimation, Mm -hmm. they kind of lost the PR war in that sense, as far Mm. as like, you know, the, thankfully, the WGA got a lot of what they wanted. And, you know, seemingly, the AMPTP people had learned some some hard lessons. And now to your point, we get to now and it's like, there's more of this spin, whereas they're on the one side, they're saying this is untenable, this is ridiculous, how can you put a premium, even if it's a down to I think what the figure was like 57 cents or something right per per subscriber. uh, Which sounds like such a small amount, but obviously in the in the millions that we're dealing with these things very easily and quickly pile up. And then you have you're hearing from the the uh, negotiator side on the sag after side of like the body of actors is a big part of what makes these streaming services even valuable. So why you have to start rewarding because these, there are all these like elusive ways and unknowable ways that the studios do or don't sometimes mm-hmm. uh, give back and give uh, these these workers like a cut of what they're making it's you know it's it seems like it's not that big a deal and it's you're asking them for more money and of course they're at the end of the day they're going to say no more money like we're giving you all the money mm-hmm. we have we haven't you know they haven't forgotten about covid and all the money they quote unquote lost so like all these things kind of working together it makes it makes it a big mess it's a big mess. Um, yeah, and to your point about spin, um, after the AMPTP delivered their official statement, there was a counter statement issued by SAG-AFTRA on October 12th, um, sort of pushing back against the idea that this uh, economic, untenable economic burden might not be as great as the studios are portraying. Um, SAG-AFTRA says that this 800 million dollar estimate is a 60 percent inflation over what their calculation suggests so that this has been misrepresented and the other thing that is apparently according to SAG-AFTRA misrepresented is that the AMPTP's offer that they presented to SAG-AFTRA was, and this is a quote, shockingly worth less than what they proposed before the strike began. Um, so in in terms of expecting this to start out with a good faith negotiation, this is very similar to what we saw in the early days of the WGA negotiation, mm-hmm. where the AMPTP came with an offer that was very far away from what the union was asking for. When the union came back with a counter proposal, they walked away from the table and kind of acted insulted and injured by the counter. And this is just like not how good faith negotiation amongst parties who are trying to get back to work should go. Right, Ariel? Yeah, it it seems I, I absolutely agree. I think that's a great way of putting it. It just seems like it's 
you know, like a, a headline that you would have seen a few months ago, if not a few weeks ago, vice versa. I think it's, I, I understand. And now they're in a way it kind of makes sense as I think about it. Like, you know, the fight is, is, is quote unquote, almost over, at least in like the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. Like I think in most ways we're probably nearing the finish line, even though there are going to be these very contentious, like, last minute points mm -hmm. but i think that you know there's going to be a little bit of on both sides there might be a feeling of you know either resentment or i didn't get what i want certainly on the ptp side and like they're gonna fight harder now potentially and the uh the emotion and the pride that they might have been feeling certainly during the WH WGA negotiation mm -hmm. doesn't just like go away. And these feelings, you know, these, these personalities are famously uh, loud for lack of a better word right. in some cases, and certainly like feel these people feel very important to themselves. And I think these, you know, these last ish efforts of like, well, we're not just going to give them anything they want. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't own us. We are still the people in charge. I think unfortunately makes you know some human sense yeah yeah so let's like let's kind of peel back some of the layers of all of this and like think about what might be the motivation of the players involved so um you know we mentioned that the sag after strike started on july 14th so today we are recording this on sunday october 15th this is the 94th day of the sag aftra strike um back a few weeks ago when we were still looking at the both guilds being on strike simultaneously i saw some conversation around the significance of a hundred days of non-work and how this might be like somewhat of an important landmark uh with the idea that um there's a like a clause called a force majeure clause that's included in contracts that removes liability for unforeseeable and unavoidable catastrophes that interrupt work and that you know we've heard this from the beginning and you know the the studios were actually kind of boasting about this in the very early days that the strikes are actually saving the money improving their bottom line because they're not paying labor costs and allowing them to kind of like buffer their quarterly earnings in the short term. And because these studios had also been boasting about having these sort of strike-free schedules and having some content in the bank that they could continue to put out that, you know, that, that, that in some ways this was going to be a financial win. So Ariel, what do you think about that, that gamesmanship? <laughs> It just comes across so petty. Like they're putting their feet up like, eh, we don't need writers. We don't need actors. We got it. We we got everything figured out. And, you know, in some cases, certainly like a Netflix has a lot of things in the can, right? Like they're pumping out content all the time, even though they have seemingly supposedly in the last few years, you know, kind of tried to to lower that number a little bit. And they aren't like creating as much content as they were at the quote unquote height of Netflix. But they're still producing a lot of things for a lot of different international markets that they can very easily deploy mm. more globally. So there's, you know, I think certainly them on that side, they were like, and eh, let's see how far. And this is back to my point of and, and a point you've talked through a lot about like the little a little bit of 
the miscalculation on their side mm-hmm. and they're and that's where the you know the, the hubris even comes in of like that's the place they were starting from at the at the beginning of the negotiation and like that kind of so you're still dealing with those same people who mm-hmm. were initially thinking like that and i think it's we shouldn't lose sight of that because it's it's unfortunate but that's what the reality is yeah yeah i mean for whatever reason i think that like the studios probably still feel like they can wait out um producing new content i'll just like to close the loop on this force majeure clause and the 100 day mark um you know i'm not sure i've seen like discussions both ways um some people have pointed out that you know that this is not really functionally relevant because 100 days is often the point when like a first look agreement can be canceled because of unavoidable circumstances but it's not like you know in it's it 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 probably doesn't affect enough of these contracts to make a huge de- impact i think that what is maybe more compelling is that there was more urgency to wrap things up with the writers for a couple mm-hmm. reasons. One, they'd been on strike longer, right? So that had delayed that pre-production pipeline, um, you know, already at that point going back to May. And um, the other point is that you obviously, if you're looking to get new content produced to air, say in the new year in quarter one or quarter two of January of, uh, of 2024, then we really needed to get the writers back to work first, but we could wait until the scripts were greenlit and they were ready to go to start attaching acting talent to those deals. So there was more urgency for the writers and they still feel the studios still feel like they have runway to get the actors back to work. So what do you think about that, Ariel? Yeah, I think clearly they are thinking like you said, of like, ah, we still, the writers are already back in, in, in session, if you will. So mm-hmm. we do have, I think that's, that's the right call on the read of what's going on. We do have a little bit more runway and thus we have a little bit more room to throw some tantrums, you know, and mm-hmm. like throw some, a wrench in this, uh, in this groundswell on the, you know, on the labor, the side, the sack after side. I think it's, yeah, and and some people would probably say even yeah, and this the the scripts are theoretically better because if there's more time for them to do it, because a lot of times these the on, on shows specifically sometimes you know the 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 turnaround time is very quick, so sometimes you're only writing on a big on a bigger machine show, let's say like a Grey's Anatomy, you're writing scripts sometimes like two or three episodes ahead of time only, so you're mm-hmm. not you're you're actually like closer in production schedule the writing versus the yeah. shooting then then is sometimes obvious so i think it's it's tricky you know we're getting to a certain time of year that a lot of people had been citing as a kind of point of no return you know as we keep saying the writers are back in session so it doesn't seem as dire but at the end of the day they're hope they were hoping to get back to acting you know and having people having these productions back up and running you know in some cases by the end of the year in some cases very early q1 so you know there there are going to be some cases where that kind of doesn't matter we're still going to go and start shooting ideally in q1 like we wanted but Mm -hmm. it's you know once we get into november and uh 
you know, if, if things haven't still gone well, people are going to start disappearing like they always do. And I think the strikes are a little different. You know, people will stay around even through the holidays to negotiate. I'm not really sure what that looks like and, you know, how much you have to pay these negotiators. But at the end of the mm -hmm. day, uh, it's it, it just feels like it's that much more serious. And I think both sides, it feels to me like are playing are going to play chicken a little bit of like how far how how far is the other side willing to push this mm -hmm. because everybody is kind of tired of you know like no full while, while fully believing in the in the movement i think people as has been expressed people are ready to get back to work people are wanting to get back to work and it's affecting so many different parts of the industry now that uh it feels really important but we nobody wants to quote unquote lose right like everybody has yeah. someone to answer to whether it's the negotiator who's you know answering to like the greater body the sag after and obviously the amptp people have all their corporate shareholders and mm -hmm. overlords and and they certainly probably don't want to be seen as having lost quote unquote twice in a row yeah. Yeah. And we talked about this quite a bit with the WGA strike, like just how important it is to actually get very meaningful wins during this negotiation, because like people, the union has the will to strike right now. But when the next round of negotiations comes up in another three years, people are who have, you know, suffered their careers have suffered because of COVID, their careers have suffered through major strikes. There's no saying that people are going to be willing to go on a 100 day strike again, three years from now. So it's like, this is the chance to get the demands met that you need to have met. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's not just the profit sharing in success that has to do with streaming. It's also this issue around AI, and we've talked about just how rapidly that's advancing. Ariel, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw in my Twitter timeline, um, there was a video snippet from, I, I think it was a Disney Channel original movie where uh -oh. they had a, um, it was like set in a high school gym pep rally sort of scene. Okay. And behind the actual actors, there were like two rows of terrible CGI uh, extras no. in the crowd. Oh, so this is, I mean, this is coming. And, you know, everybody sort of recognizes just how, quickly this technology advances and just how much of a threat this could be. So on AI protections, um, when what we hear from the AMPTP in their offer, they, um, they stipulated uh, advanced consent from performers and background actors to create and use digital replicas and that no digital replica of the performer could be used without the performer's written consent and description of the intended use in the film. So this looked really good um, the way that the AMPTP would have you believe. But what SAG-AFTRA came back in their statement and said was, you know, this isn't really a protection because uh, employment could be contingent upon your willingness to consent to having your likeness used in digital replicas. So um, they did not have that layer of protection as well that they could really functionally decline um, that consent. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's obviously unfortunate because then at, at that point you're dealing with the very 
subtle but unfortunately very familiar world of you know retaliation from a company and what form mm -hmm. that can take and what kind of rules they can hide behind and say that there was no retaliation so that's you know it sounds like they have some guardrails in place but the other thing that you know we've been hearing with with all of the ai issues is what amount of control do people actually have once you know a likeness once a person's likeness in this case in this mm -hmm. example is created you know is is now put into this bank and like the the technology is advancing at such a rate that you know is it is it even too late to be putting these some of these guardrails into place because it's kind of like you're mm. working backwards i know they're the one of the quote unquote creators of of ai whatever that means is uh was on 60 minutes last i think i think it was last week and Ooh, look about, at you watching 60 minutes about, listen it was this actually, is this is how was, rough it is in the entertainment strike <laughs> ariel's watching 60 i'm watching minutes. news magazines okay i can't read real magazines <laughs> Uh, I saw, you know, I watched it for like 30 seconds because it was on either after football or right before football. It doesn't, it doesn't for matter. 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, the, you hear the ticking clock and you know what's happening. Mm. Um, but you know, the, the, the headline that I read about was basically like, he was like, yeah, it's, it's kind of too late. It doesn't matter what we try to Oof. So, yeah. so, you know, more importantly, and less bleakly thinking about my life, as far as this stuff, it's, it must be scary. You know, you're like an actor and you're one of the only things that you have certainly under your control is your mm -hmm. likeness and your ability to, to, to appear in things based on what you want to, or don't want to appear in. And, and if you start to, to blur those lines, it's, it's pretty scary, but I think we can all agree, like keep the AI away from children. Like that's oh, oh. that, that story that you told is chilling and scary. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so this is, I mean, so I think that it is very important for SAG-AFTRA to really get a, some sort of meaningful protections from AI in this round. Um, it's possible to take the fully nihilistic view, uh, Ariel, that you heard on 60 Minutes that it's probably too late. And a lot of this like probably is, you know, like we already have our digital images we already have like gosh ariel our voices our digitized voices no, i'll put my voice out for no the but it's out there but this stuff is out there and um and i think that we probably there's going to be we're going to see how this is used and 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 all for for good and for ill but to the extent that uh that actors and performers livelihoods absolutely depend on their control of their digital uh, replicas, so to speak. I think it's really important that they get this right in this round. So the AMPTP seems to be making, though, the calculation that they have some leverage that they can weather a little bit longer without content being actively produced. And they're waiting to see if they can divide SAG and, um, and, and to some extent uh, injure their will and um, and get and 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 walk away from this negotiation without having to make all of these concessions. Um, so, Ariel, one of the things that I want to talk through with you is obviously there's the new content uh, pipeline that's been interrupted by the strikes. So the writers are are back to work. 
now late night is back right like we're seeing mm -hmm. snl is back um yeah, so night. so some of these things are you know are coming back online um which is which is great for fans and it's great for uh writers and other workers who you know depend on this work for their livelihoods um but um you know there's other things that are that were interrupted that if the actors could go back to work they could start um they could start promoting films that had already been made right that were delayed mm -hmm. um productions that were already in progress i'm thinking like house of the dragon my beloved severance which i was following very closely like oh my gosh they're in ithaca they're filming oh, no. this like what does this mean um so you know some some people could actors could go back to work tomorrow in theory if this strike was wrapped up like what are some of the things that are interrupted right now aside from this new content that uh people are going that that's in development that's going to be really important for the shows that come out in quarter two of 2024 um isn't the amptp leaving money on the like on the table right now today because production is halted yeah i mean i think i think for me it's it's important the the three-year piece of it that you mentioned before is an important one because i think the as especially on the amptp side that isn't like a whole lot of time and they're probably like if we can if we can like wedge certain if we can create wedges and certain pieces of what they're asking for we can kind of buy ourselves a little time like this for example like the skeptical read would be like with the ai stuff you know maybe in three years public perception will have changed about mm. how people feel about this kind of thing so like let's just see what we can quote unquote get away with and then in three years we're like in a different place and we haven't totally um you know uh handcuffed ourselves as far mm -hmm. as what they what their greed wants them to, to achieve um you know, I think D Dune is the the biggest example of something that's ready to go. They can release it tomorrow if they wanted to. But the amount, the caliber of of a list talent that's in that movie, especially new. I mean, there was already the people who were coming back from the first one, but now you have all these new people joining the cast for the second one. It had been delayed. It was supposed to be November. Now they're looking at March, which. I feel like as prop, you know, uh, there's no world in my mind that like at that point in March, we're still dealing with dealing with the strike, but who mm -hmm. can say I certainly wouldn't bet money on it. But um, something like that, that's so important to their bottom line for the year, they have just written off for this year, like that's not gonna hit and certainly by March, you know, it's it's it is now 2024. And especially as we talk about like, the fiscal year stuff, and that was a whole lot of money that they were going to make over this holiday season that they're no longer mm -hmm. going to make. But it's that much more important to them to make it work in uh, in next year. But it's a lot of money that they were going to make this year that's that's no longer yeah. there. So they had to quote unquote eat that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I guess, and I guess it's sort of a tricky calculation. And this is why I I really I'm still trying to 
you know, produce a podcast uh, in this series with a guest who knows and who understands something about business, because I do think that dissecting some of the business dimensions of this are would be fascinating and illuminating. But I wonder if there's a trade off between like, you know, well, we're not going to be able to release Dune and it's going to cost a lot of money to get it back in production. So maybe we need to wait a little while and not have that expense on our balance sheet until we get closer to when we're bringing in new content. So like some of these delays, it might be some of a business calculation, like what can we afford to produce right now, given yeah. that everything has sort of stopped and we don't have that same expected revenue coming in. Yeah. And it's like you said, it's like a, a, a game of like, what are we willing to lose versus, mm -hmm. you know, what can we what can we put out and it's not gonna hurt us too much there's some you know there's movies coming out that probably would do better if it had some some support from the stars but they have to make decisions where they can they can't just decide not to put anything out mm -hmm. so it's you know you wonder some of these movies you know like uh the exorcist bombed you know, in, in most estimations, based on what they wanted it to make, it still made, you know, like 20, 30 some odd million dollars, which isn't nothing, but certainly isn't as much as they wanted. And to be completely honest, that movie is just like not good. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, you know, how much yeah. mass participation would have helped. But, you know, you have names like And Out and Leslie Odom Jr. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, or Ellen Burson that like perhaps, yeah, I'm sure Ellen Burson's like TikTok you know, account has like many millions of subscribers and all the dances that she does. Uh, I did, but um, yeah, you wonder about how some of these that movies... would get me on TikTok though, Ariel. If Ellen, if Ellen Burstyn was dancing on TikTok, listen, Ellen, if you're listening, uh, please, please, um, please think about it. But yeah. not AI Ellen. I don't want that. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. No. So this is great. I think this is why you're a great guest to talk about this. So what is happening with the film release calendar? And like, what are we seeing at the box office now as a consequence of the actors not being able to promote their films? Because that's something that ending the strike would immediately change and could probably bring in some additional profits for the studios, right? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're in I mentioned Dune already, we're in a place of, again, they're kind of like hedging and, and making decisions and like, what's more important and what really needs the support, like the other film that keeps getting, you know, on the one side of the spectrum, we have something like a Dune, which is huge, and it's kind of going to make money regardless, but they want to, you know, squeeze every little bit out of it as they can. So they're going to push that versus a movie like Challengers, which is a, a, a much smaller film that mm -hmm. that Zendaya is in that uh, they have pushed. And even though it's an indie film, they are hoping that it's going to be a big breakout because of her and, yeah. you know, because of the success that it could have through her social media support, especially. Right. And that's, you know, from what I've heard, that's kind of still in limbo. As far as I understand, there there is a date, but we don't know if that date is going to change. Once again, they push that. I think, um, you know, there's the there is the interesting thing that we got into last time about like the more what I consider like the bad faith postponements of mm. something like an animated Spider-Man movie or like these right these 
Avatar movies, which we know take a gazillion years to make anyway, <laughs> even in the best and most productive of circumstances. And those are just, I'm sorry, like we were never going to see, you know, the next Avatar movie by next year. That was just like, well, you can never prove it now, Ariel, because the strike happened. Yes. And you have the people and it doesn't matter. Like the, this is crazy. I've already said this, but like the whole, the, the Spider-Verse sequel specifically is crazy making to me because even before the strike, they were out there talking about how like, yeah, we don't know. We're postponing, blah, blah, blah. And then the strike happens and they're like, the strike is the reason why we can't complete the movie. Um, and there's just a lot of, and then you have something like uh, like Wicked, which is like a big deal because it's Wicked the movie based on the, I don't think it's based on the musical. I think it's based on the book. The musical is, it, it doesn't mm. matter. It, it must be in some way based on the musical because it's Ariana Grande, who's, you know, one of the lead roles. But similarly, you have her and she may not be a, a big name actress yet, but she certainly is a known quantity mm -hmm. and is clearly dabbling in acting and that's a movie that had like i think it was like 10 days left that it had to shoot in order to be complete uh -huh. so like you know these people they have to move on with their lives they may look different it's like yeah. all these it, it's it's compounding a problem and making it even more complicated and it's frustrating because everybody involved in that whether it was the crew or the cast you know, you were so close to the end point. I think it was just for the, I can't remember. I think they were shooting both parts at once. But regardless, that's such, such a, that's the biggest example of like, we were so close for this huge mm -hmm. thing. And now, you know, months on later, how is that going to affect? Then you're, then you're playing around with the, with the windows, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, I can't remember. It might've been The Exorcist. Like the t the Taylor Swift movie just came out this weekend, right? Which yes, like, and I do want to talk about, about that because it's like, what can you release when you can't release? Yes, yeah, so you can't release movie movies. So yes. like the the Taylor Swift thing, I think is is different, but yes, I do want to talk about it because it's fascinating. But a movie like that, you know, it was always going to come out anyway, and it kind of doesn't matter. But my point in bringing it up is there was there's always a little bit of like chess, and I would call it checkers because it's a calendar, a little mm -hmm. bit of checkers that the movie studios are playing with and planning the movies like there there are official release release dates that are like rumored release dates and then you're always trying to make sure that your movie isn't going to go up against the movie that mm -hmm. either a is for sure gonna beat out your movie and make your movie quote unquote lose the weekend versus like are we going to put out a movie that's too similar to xyz movie and then we're kind of like splitting the audience they a can't bit. all be barbenheimers they can't all be barbenheimer the the best example of like <laughs> the perfect programming where like Karen. everybody wins <laughs> uh so yeah that game gets even and this is just this is exactly what happened after after covid a little bit right like mm -hmm. you're trying to get like the primo what they consider in quotes like the primo dates throughout the year of like when traditionally certain movies make money the most amount of money and you're you only have even though there's 52 weeks in a year and you're like whatever movies are coming out all the time there's like limited real estate for yes. certain times of the year so i think that's a problem when you start moving movies around like what disney did with some of its um changes it's like if one movie was going to come out in may and another was going to come out in november i think it was uh like deadpool 3 it was going to come out in uh they moved it. So like if, if movie A was going to be in May and movie mm -hmm. B was going to be in December, 
they pushed movie A to December and then you're just like pushing the slot further and further down because right. Disney already has its like primo positions mm -hmm. in the calendar in some cases. So it's just really interesting the way some of these things affect each other. And I think I think I read that it was the Exorcist. I might be mistaken, but there was an example of like a movie that had moved because of the Taylor Swift wow. movie concert. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, we are not. We're not doing that. We're, we're not, not going to put ourselves you know, in opposition to that. Yeah. And before we get more into the the Taylor Swift uh, Eris tour film, um, I did want to say like, I mean, and 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 it's and we, we could talk about this in like a very dry business way, but it is like really disappointing for the fans. And it's really disappointing for the talent, too, who like put a lot of work into something that they care about, that they're proud of. Um, like you mentioned, Ariana Grande, like, is this going to be a big foray into acting for her? Like, and, and it, and it delays all of that. I did come across a Twitter account for a self described uh, entertainment journalist early in the strikes that like was entirely dedicated to how the delay of the dude movie was like a huge injury to her personally. And she was <laughs> anti the strikes because of that. But people are really invested in these, in these things, seeing the light of day. Yeah. Yeah. And some of, you know, whether it be, you know, Denis Villeneuve creating literal art in his movies in Dune versus you know, the Taylor Swift concert movie where they just recorded the concert and are playing it as a movie, no disrespect. Uh, it's it's different, but to your point, depending on what you care about personally, it's gonna be really important to you. So I think it's, it's uh, you know, they seem to be really happy with putting out this movie because it's shockingly doing really well, Amanda. Mm. Like, I don't know if you're surprised to hear that. How dare you slander cinema innovator Taylor <laughs> Swift, who literally invented movies. I can't believe it, Ariel. I had never heard of a concert movie before her. Not there. I mean, Talking Heads who? I just, yeah. I, yeah, she's all. Um, so, okay. So over the weekend, and I know that you saw this, Ariel, and I know that we can look forward to a post show recaps theater episode oh yes yeah nice we can we can look forward to that so that's a deep dive into taylor swift the heiress tour um yeah this is a little bit of a um you know a, a proof of concept we talked about this when uh when you you and grace joined me earlier in the series to talk about like you know the impact that delays in production are going to inevitably have on you know, not only movies, but like the movie house theater cinema industry in general. Like, are there things that we can do with brick and mortar movie theaters to keep them in business and keep them afloat if we're in a little bit of a content drought? And, um, you know, this is this is an example of one such thing, even though this was always planned um, to release. Uh, we can show live we could show recordings of live concert events yeah this is uh this is strike proof we'll 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 make all the money uh tailor money it's you know to your point about making money in the brick and mortar thing i think certainly you know nowadays we're seeing this was always a thing certainly like the more indie theaters you know l luckily living in new york i have a lot of there are 
too many theaters, frankly. And like some, mm -hmm. I literally sometimes forget. I'm like, oh yeah, that theater. And they're showing that cool thing that I missed. Uh, but this idea of like creating, curating experiences versus, you know, the movie event. So like mm -hmm. showing old movies, showing, you know, cult classics that people love, showing whether it's around like holiday times, you know, there's always a big, contingent of of places showing you know uh rocky horror picture show but like yes it seems like in general a chain like alamo is doing is trying to do that more and be both things be really ideally right like a netflix be all things to all people where you're showing like the big move the big movie of the week in this case taylor swift but also like random old movies that in some cases no one's ever heard of but people are excited to see because it's like a niche thing it's like a classic thing like i said um, and I th it, it does seem to be, in my estimation, something that theaters are doing more, especially, again, the smaller theaters who are kind of fighting for their piece of the pie. You know, the big AMCs and the Regals here in the U.S., notwithstanding, they need to be showing something and generating interest. And it's always funny to me to see a smaller theater who usually only shows like indie movies decide, OK, we kind of have to show this Taylor Swift movie because you know, we need to get people in the seats. Right, right. So this probably like had ended up having like a wider release, even like in terms of hitting more of these indie theaters than it might have otherwise, because there's a little bit of a drought in movies right now. And of course, you pointed out like Taylor Swift um, did not invent this as a genre. There's um, Stop Making Sense by the Great Talking Heads. Um this is it. Michael Jackson, Gimme Shelter, The Rolling Stones, Let It Be. Um, U2 has done a few of these. So so we've had these before. This is obviously going to make a splash because Taylor Swift is such a uh, behemoth of a celebrity here. Um, and this was actually um, brought in a somewhat confrontational uh, interview with Duncan Crabtree, who's the lead negotiator for SAG, um, saying, you know, what's your take on the whole Taylor Swift, the Eras tour phenomenon at the box office this weekend? I know the film has a SAG after interim agreement, but the film's success comes at a time when actors can't promote. And we're clearly seeing the impact of that at the box office. Um, and, you know, and, uh, Duncan Crabtree responded that, you know, actors can promote any project with an interim agreement. And if anything, the Eras tour success shows just how important the voice of talent is and the promotion from talent is to actually bring these films to the widest audience possible. Um, Taylor Swift is a member of SAG-AFTRA, um, and she's done a lot to help other artists in the industry, says Crabtree. So, um, yeah, there's clearly this this huge value for 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 talent in here. Even though this is, you know, uh, had an interim agreement um, with SAG-AFTRA, like you know, we this 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 demonstrates, like you said, Ariel, that you know we we need to have the actors back to work so that they can promote these these projects. And um, it seems like the studios have made the calculation though that they're at least willing to wait maybe it has something to do with the timing of pre-production for the quarter two uh releases for 2024 um but it seems like we're gonna wait a little longer do you have any predictions ariel for how much longer this might go on or what might be the next play i hmm. i i'm trying to weigh like the what i think is gonna happen versus what i hope is gonna happen and obviously what i hope is gonna happen is that 
you know, in the next, in this coming week, people are going to be like, okay, Halloween is approaching, you know, and that's only important because it means that November is the next day and, you know, how bleak start things start to feel at the end of the year. Listen, the holidays are like lonely enough for some people. We don't need to like still be on strike selfishly. Um, I, I feel, I hope. I feel like probably by the end of the month, we will have a, if not like, certainly not like a ratified deal, because that's going to take a few weeks even after, as we saw with the WGA. But I think hopefully a a deal in place where we can say, okay, it's quote unquote over. And now we're just waiting to like sign the papers. I I can't I would be really surprised on both sides if we didn't make it work in the next in the next couple of weeks, because I think this is it feels like this is all we have. But for still negotiating, mm-hmm. for still negotiating in November, I think it's it's a bad it's a bad look and it's just going to feel bad for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- th- this is this is my read on this right now. I think that. The AMPTP has a date in mind. And when that date comes, they're going to have to come to the table and make a deal. And I think that the solidarity within and between these unions is not something that they had anticipated. And I think that they expected their tactics to make a lot more inroads in terms of being able to get concessions in this deal. Um, But I don't think anybody's going to budge. I don't think that SAG-AFTRA is going to budge. They've seen how successful the solidarity and the resolve was with their sister union, the WGA. So, I mean, just cynically, I think that the AMPTP has a date in mind. Um, The whispers that I heard at the very, very beginning of this in May were people saying this could go on until November. I think that that day come that date comes from some knowledge of what is the content in the bank and what they absolutely need. Like when the drop dead deadline where they need to start generating more content to stay afloat. So I, I really feel like what we're going to see is AMPDP goes back and licks their wounds and you know has their hissy fit and then they watch the taylor swift movie a few times they have a good cry Mm -hmm. you know they eat some ben and jerry's and then they come back (laughs) to the table and you know and they stay there until they have a deal and i think that sag aftra is going to stay really strong and end up getting the deal that they want but i don't think that the amptp is going to be willing to do that until it's the last possible minute what they're hoping right now is for the union to fracture for people to want to get back to work um and to be hasty in making that demand but i don't i don't think that sag after is going to do it i think that you know i think that they're in it until they get the deal that they need yeah for sure i mean at this point i do agree that that sag after seems to have the the momentum and not just because of of the the WGA deal, but obviously that helps a lot. And like you said, the solidarity, I think all those pieces mm-hmm. working in tandem. And there's always uh, the the piece of it from the perspective of of the public and public support. And I think they they that's become more and more important to because of how 
transparent things have to seem now for the public in order to not lose like the few degrees of 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 public support that the AMPTP ever had, if at all. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting. I really hope that it's not it's not that long, but I think I agree that there's for sure, probably that just makes business sense. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's the kind of thinking that got them into this mess of like, okay, this is the date. Mm -hmm. And then maybe after this date, we have to start treating them like humans. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Well, until that day arise arrives, we're going to still be here at post show recaps, bringing you coverage of everything that's going on. And also as we can, illuminating other aspects of the labor market that bring us the content that we love. So um, stay tuned and make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss any of it. Um, And Ariel, where can people keep up with everything that you're doing? Oi. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And I love the podcast and how, how you're getting all these different people from all different sides of the industry. And you're, you're trying really hard from your, uh from your perch of all these different industries that are kind of like um you know overlapping for you and this mm. this platform and this message that you're trying to amplify so I super appreciate it. and you had some great guests i mean like myself notwithstanding it's been <laughs> it's been uh really great and i i applaud your work to oh, to thank continue you. To, to to amplify this really important news um, I am on Twitter at that other Ariel. I'm always retweeting everything that I'm involved in. I'm covering movies with Grace and Pusher Recaps Theater. Like you said, we're talking about Taylor Swift, which I mm-hmm. thought was a bit at first, but like, it's fine. We're covering it. <laughs> we're gonna have a guest, I believe. We're still negotiating that. So I want negotiating. Jesus. Wow. We're still, we're Another still- negotiation. <laughs> Listen, if you want to be a guest at Pusher Recaps Theater, there are certain things we're going to, we have to like scan your likeness. Oh my goodness. And then, no, I kid, uh, you know, but sometimes guests fall through. So I don't want to, I don't want to overpromise. It's not Taylor. It might be. Also covering the morning show, which speaking of mess is the biggest mess, but it's a fun one at times. Uh, covering that with Grace. Uh, and also covering Tales from the Loop with Grace and DM Philly and um, back on the Grey's Anatomy train with Chappelle. You know, we were the writers were away, but now the writer's room on Grey's is back up and running. So this monthly pod is going to be back up and running as well. We'll have a fun uh, like best of tier list thing to come later this week. So look out for that. Amazing. Uh, and you can keep up with everything that I'm doing by following me. On Twitter, where I am Dr. Amanda R. That's C R Amanda R. Thank you. Bye bye.